Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Let me open us in prayer. Lord God, thank you again for this time to come and to worship you. You are so good to us, Lord. Uh, And you're good to us even when we forget you are good to us. And you're graceful to us even when we forget you are graceful to us, Lord. And so God, let us now come to you with open ears and open hearts to hear what you have to teach us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, the day before I went on vacation, I had a, a woman from our church come to me and she said, Pastor Dan, I will give you $500 if you make the first service a mask optional service. Now, you know I'm a pretty cheap person, so I thought, man, 500 bucks, like I could take maybe like half my family to the movies for $500. So that sounds really good. Uh, Maybe I could actually get in a bidding war between first service and second service and could take my whole family to the movies. That would be fantastic. Um, I don't know how it is in your circles, uh, but in, in church circles, this mask thing causes a lot of tension and people feel very passionate about this mask thing. Um, and I think it's particularly tense, to be honest with you, in medium-sized cities like, like Green Bay is. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, as you probably know, the legislator repealed the, the governor's mask mandate, and I was maybe the happiest man in Wisconsin in that moment in time, because I thought, finally, all of the discussions, all of the tension can kind of go away. Uh, and so I went for a walk with my dog, just overjoyed, and I'm walking, and I get an update on my phone, uh, Governor has issued a new mask mandate. And I'm like, no. But I remembered uh, in James, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds and knowing that the Lord is doing something in the midst of this. And so uh, James is, is such a helpful reminder in the midst of this time. I don't know about you, but for me, it's been surgical. Uh, but, but in the midst of, of just everything that's been going on and, and a lot of the tension surrounding masks, we've had people ask a lot of questions. Um, and, and make some assumptions, but, but questions like, you know, why are the elders choosing to follow uh, this mandate? Is it because they are afraid of death um, or, because, or because they think masks are, are, are so effective? Um, and and I'll, I'll tell you that that's, that's not enlarged the case. Even, even my own household, we've had make a lot of adjustments because of, of masks as a family. We have between 70 and 80 people through our house every week uh, with no masks on uh, because the, the mandate doesn't apply there uh, because we have two schools that meet at our house and a community group. And so it's not because we're afraid of, of dying and being with Jesus. That sounds really good right about now. Um, but, but that's not the reason. Some, some will ask, well, are the elders following uh, the mandate because they're afraid of getting in trouble. Um, and as far as I know, there are no 
repercussions at all if we disobey the mandate. I, I don't think there is. No one's asking questions. No one's being thrown in prison or fined. And so, so there's no repercussions there. Um, are the elders following the mandate because they, they agree with the governor and they think that he has the right to extend the mandate? And to be honest with you, that's not the reason either. Simply the reason why, uh, why we want to submit to this order uh, is because we believe that the Bible calls us to. And, and, and where we see that here in the Bible is, is throughout the Bible, but particularly in Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2. And so that's what we're going to focus on this week and next week as we address uh, this issue that is causing so much tension. Again, it's not just in Jacob's Well Church. It's in every church. Uh, every pastor I talk to, it is the same. And so if you would turn to Romans chapter 1, it is page, let me see here, page... Thank you. Romans chapter 13. Thank you, wife. Uh, it's page 948 in the Red Bible. And, and before we go there, uh, you know, context is always really important. So let me just give you what I'll call the Romans recap. So in Romans uh, 1 through chapter 11, uh, Paul lays out the glory of the gospel, which is basically that Jesus has offered his body as a sacrifice for you to make you holy and acceptable before God. And then Romans 12, 1, there is a therefore there, which is kind of the hinge of the book of Romans. And he says, therefore, because Christ has offered his body for you as a living sacrifice to make you holy and pleasing to God, now you are to offer your body as a living sacrifice. And he goes through to your church, to your enemy, today's passage, to your government, to your neighbor, to your weaker brother, and he goes on and on. And so that's the context of, of, of Romans chapter 13, is that in light of the gospel, how are we to live this gospel out? And in this particular passage, how are we supposed to live out the gospel in our relationship with the government? So, so here we are, Romans chapter 13, verse 1 through 7. This is God's word. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, in, in James, you tell us to receive with meekness the word of God. And so, Lord, create in us meekness, humble hearts to hear what you have to teach us, Lord God. And Lord, help us not to just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word, as you have instructed us uh, in the book of James. And so help us to that end, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, a few months ago, a, a, a older, wiser member of our congregation uh, said to me, 
Pastor Dan, uh, it's okay to take a pause and focus on a relevant issue for a couple of sermons if you need to. So feel free to slow it down if you want. And so that's what we're doing here today. We're focusing on a relevant issue, which is our relationship to the government. And this goes far beyond masks. It goes far beyond masks. It goes to it goes to taxes. It goes to how we dispose of TVs. It goes to uh, uh, fishing license and hunting licenses. It goes to to uh, to, to the laws of, of the streets, the, 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 the speed limits, the, the stop and go lights, all of those things. This, 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 this issue really branches over so many things because there are so many laws in our society. And so in thinking about the Christian's relationship to the government, uh, I wanna answer four questions here. The first question is this, who must submit to the governing authorities? Well, in verse one, Paul speaking to the Romans says this, let Every person be subject to the governing authorities. Now, as we work through Romans chapter 13, you'll find out that this passage is very inclusive. It doesn't, it doesn't designate a certain type of government. Um, it doesn't even mention Caesar's name here. Uh, there is no Christian form of government. There are multiple form of governments, no, not Christian form of government. Uh, personally, I think democracy is the best because it is, is that which holds accountable sinful people. But, but there's, no, there's no specific Christian government out there. Um, and here Paul says, let every person, uh, every person in the Greek means every person. Right? It means your person and my person. And it's important because Paul knows that we are so good at thinking that we are the exception to this command. Uh, and so he says, let every person be subject or be submissive. The word here is hupotasso, which means to arrange yourself under, to subordinate, or to obey. And it's used in, in, first Tim, in, sorry, in Titus 3, uh, when, when, when Paul is telling Pastor Titus, he says, remind them, your congregation, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. So that's, that's the command, is for everyone to be submissive to the governing authorities. Now, the opposite of that is found in verse 2. In verse 2, Paul says, therefore, whoever resists or opposes the authorities resists what God has appointed. Now, something about America is that we are first fiercely independent, uh, for better or for worse. And words like submission often seem like a four-letter word for us. But the thing is, is that we have a God uh, that is not a God of chaos and of confusion, uh, that's never spoken of, of in a, in a positive way in the scripture, but we have a God of order. And whenever there is order, there has to be submission within that order. And so there are, there are uh, relationships that God talks about, submission in the midst of those relationships, and it is a beautiful and pleasing thing to the Lord. Uh, it, 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 he commands us to submit in the context of our family, in the context of church, in the context of the workplace, in the context of society, such as with governing officials. But in James 4, he even tells us to submit to the Lord. And so he's saying, listen, I am not a God of disorder, but of order. And so we are called to submit to those whom God has placed in authority over us, in the family, uh, in the workplace, in the government, and things of that sort. Now, 
when we say be subject or, or submission, uh, it's always important to, to, to talk about what that does not mean. Uh, some people uh, kind of are attracted to this, this type of teaching because they want to use it abusively. And so submission does not mean we get to abuse people physically or emotionally or anything like that. Submission does not mean that we don't raise our questions or our concerns or that we communicate when we disagree. Submission doesn't mean any of that. But what submission does mean, and submission has to mean something, what submission does mean is that submission, well, submission is a posture of humility in which we obey the right people even when we think they are wrong. Does that make sense? Submission is is a posture of humility in which we obey the right people, the people that God has put in authority over us, even when we think they are wrong. This is how it works in my life. Uh, We are a a Presbyterian church, and what that means is that we are elder-run. And so I, the pastor, am not the authoritarian in the church. I'm not the king of the church. We believe Jesus is the king of the church, and we believe that all of us are corrupted by sin. And so, so we have this plurality of leadership called elders, and, and when, it, when it, something comes to the elders, uh, we will have conversations about it, we will discuss it, and I will express if I disagree with whatever that motion comes before us. But if the elders vote in a way that overrules what I think is the right thing to do, I will submit to them. I will do what they have decided to do, and I won't speak ill against it. And so that's what submission looks like in my life. You know, if, if I'm honest with you, many of the elders don't agree with the mandate. Uh, many of the elders believe that the governor has gone beyond uh, what the Constitution has declared, that it would be original 60 days, and to extend that, he would need the legislator. But whether we like it or not, the mandate is the law of the land, and we know it's the law of land because right now in the Supreme Court, they are hearing a case in which they're trying to overturn this law, which they would not even hear if it was not the law of the land. But here's the thing. If, if, if we don't submit to this, if we defy the higher authority, which is the constitution of our state, we are doing the very thing that we are concerned our governor is doing. Because according to the states of our law and the structure of our government, we are not self-sovereigns. We do not get to decide which laws we obey and which laws we don't obey. We don't get that right. But there are checks and balances in our government, and we have to pray that those will work things out, and then we have to submit however they are determined. Now, some may say, well, you know, Paul wrote this command, let everyone submit to the governing authorities. Uh, in a time that was euphoric, in which government was wonderful. I don't know, maybe Ronald Reagan was president, right? But everything, everything was perfect and glorious. We have a way of romanticizing the past, don't we? But, but if you know, I mean, we have to be so careful. First off, there is, there is no government that is not corrupt. Every government in, in, in the history of mankind has been corrupt. There's only one non-corrupt government, and it is yet to come when Christ returns, right? Every government has been corrupt. But we also have to be careful not to be prisoners of the moment. If you look and see, uh, Rome was a very corrupt government. Uh, They did things that would be uh, overwhelmingly appalling to us. When when Jesus was born, uh, Herod the Great had the authority to command all children under the age of two to be killed, and he had no repercussions for it. 
His son, Herod the Tetrarch, had the authority to behead John the Baptist simply because a dancing girl, if you know what that means, a dancing girl asked him to do so, and there were no repercussions for him. Pilate declared Jesus innocent and then sentenced him to be beaten and killed. That was the, that was the atmosphere of the government, and there's no repercussions for him either. Even in Romans chapter 8, just a, just a few chapters earlier, Paul is describing the things that they are enduring in this world. And he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, this is what they're experiencing, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for the sake we are being killed all the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. When, when the book of Romans was written, Nero was uh, Caesar. And Nero was no friend of Christians. Uh, as with other Caesars, uh, he considered himself to be God, to be a God. Uh, Caesar is Lord was the phrase, but Christians would say Jesus is Lord. And so, so the Caesars didn't really like Christians. And shortly after the book of Romans, the persecution started to, to, to get turned up a bit. And, and Nero would not only uh, kick not only would, would he blame them for a, a fire that destroyed a lot of Rome, but he would start killing them. But when he would kill them, he would also do it in a mocking way. Uh, a Roman historian, Tacitus, reports that Romans uh, were killing Christians in this way, that they were wrapping them in the skins of animals and then feeding them to the dogs. That they were nailing them to crosses, which was a, a publical, public spectacle of shame. That they were putting them on sticks and putting them in the garden uh, to illuminate Nero's garden at night by starting them on fire. And so this was the government that Paul is speaking about. Al Mohler puts it this way. He says, Rome was the very representation of human power at its greatest, at its most intense, at its most self-aggrandizing, and it's at its most brutal. And so all this to say is that Paul has no fairy tale uh, uh, imagination of the corruption of government. He knows it very intensely and very personally. And yet Paul says this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. So that's who should be, sub, who, should, who must submit to governing authorities. The second question is why must we submit to governing authorities? And by the way, I just, there's a lot of content I'm trying to get through, so I'm sorry. I know it's a lot, um, not as many illustrations, but but there's so much, so much important things to talk about here. So why must we submit to our governing authorities? You know, the, the Bible wouldn't command this if it was easy to do. I mean, the Bible doesn't have to command us to eat ice cream because we're happy to eat ice cream. Uh, but, but it commands us to do things that are hard to do. And, and Paul knows that by nature, our flesh wants to rebel. Uh, it wants to rebel against God, first and foremost. It wants to rebel against our parents. I know I might want to rebel against my parents. It wants to rebel against our employer. It wants to rebel against the government. This is what our flesh wants to do. And so he gives us three reasons why we should submit to the governing authorities. And the first is this, to honor God's appointment. Verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority... There is no authority, there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. This means that whoever is our mayor, our governor, our representatives, our presidents are not primarily there because we voted them to be there, but because God has appointed them to be there. Uh, we see this throughout the scriptures 
Exodus 9, the Lord says to Pharaoh, who was oppressing God's people, he says, but for this purpose, I have raised you up. In 1 Samuel, King Saul is trying to kill David. And yet David, who, has, who is a man after God's own heart, refuses to kill Saul on multiple occasions because he knows that Saul is God's anointed one. In the book of Daniel, Daniel says of Nebuchadnezzar, who just pillaged and, and destroyed Jerusalem, the apple of God's eye, he says of Nebuchadnezzar that the Lord has put him in power. Isaiah 45 calls a pagan king the Lord's anointed. Verse six of today's passage. I, I mean, this is crazy to me. Verse six of today's passage calls the Roman authorities ministers, ministers of God. John 19, Pilate says to Jesus, you will not speak to me, or he, sorry, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And then Jesus, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, says this, you would have no authority over me. In other words, you have authority over me, but you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given from above. This is what Jesus says about the governor who was about to sentence him to death. You see, authority is derivative. It comes down from God himself. And so we should, we should submit to governing officials because they were appointed by God to honor God's appointment. And that's why in verse two, it says, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. My family has hosted small groups for a very long time. And I remember when we were at our last house, we had like a gajillion kids in our community group. Maybe your group is like that. And uh, at first we would just kind of shove them down in the basement and pray for the best. Uh, but it started to get crazy and chaotic. And so we, we started to have our neighbor, Kayla, come over and watch the kids in the basement. And so she would go down there, but it was still crazy and chaotic. And so finally we had to sit down with the children and we had said, listen, we have put Kayla in charge, all right? Kayla is in charge. Whatever she tells you to do, you have to do it. Okay, but if you are trouble for Kayla, then you are in trouble with me. See what's happening in that moment, and, and I know this illustration is perfect, but, but I'm a higher authority putting in a lower authority in place and saying, listen, you must submit to this lower authority because if you are trouble for this lower authority, you are in trouble with me. This is what God is saying. I have appointed these authorities. They are not perfect. They are corrupt, just like you. But if you give them trouble, you get in trouble with me. This segues into the second reason we should submit to governing authorities. First, it's because we want to honor God's appointment. But second is to avoid God's punishment. Look at verse two. He says, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Uh, King James Version says damnation. Verse three, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. We'll get back to that later. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. Just broadly, 
government is a good thing. Even in the most corrupt environments, uh, most governments believe that murder is wrong, believe that stealing is wrong. At least for other people, they believe that. And they will punish those who do that to deter them from doing it any further. And so government, even corrupt governments, are better than no government at all. They're better than anarchy because in anarchy, it's just basically a survival of the fittest and only the, the biggest and bravest person is going to win in the end, right? And so, so he's saying, listen, government is a gift. Even as messed up as government is, it's a gift to you to protect you. He goes on, he says, but if you do wrong, be afraid. Be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoing. How does God carry out his wrath in this instant? Through his avenger. Who is his avenger? The governing authorities. This is what we call negative reinforcement, right? And so, you know, one reason, not the only reason, but one reason why you should obey uh, the rules of the road is so that you don't get a ticket because there is, there is a repercussion. There is a fine, potentially jail time if you don't obey the rules. Uh, why, you know, why should, we, why should we pay for fishing license and hunting license? I mean, that's not in the Bible. Isn't this all of God's creation and all of God's creatures? Well, we do that because we want to obey our governing authorities. But if we don't, we also know that we will endure the punishment that is deserved, whether that be a fine uh, or whatever else it might be. And so, so the government has been given authority to inflict God's punishment, whether, again, be a fine, jail time, or even death. And so God says, here is another motivation. Not only should you submit because they are appointed by me, but you should submit because they are appointed to disperse my punishment. Finally, he says that we should submit to satisfy a godly conscience. Verse 5 says, therefore, one must be in subjection or be submissive, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. To take this out of the political realm, uh, we know that children should obey their parents because it's the right thing to do. In the same way, we are called to submit to our governing authorities because it is the right thing to do. And we know it's the right thing to do because of our biblically informed conscience. And I say biblically informed conscience because everyone has a conscience, but it's not always biblically informed. Sometimes it's just operating out of their own rebellion or sin. Uh, uh, James Montgomery Boyce, a commentator, put it this way. I thought he wrote it so well, I, I put it down. He says, he quotes another writer. He says, one writer has compared the human conscience to a sundial. It is not a perfect timepiece, but it is fairly accurate, as long as the sun is shining on it. Suppose you consult it by moonlight. In that case, it might tell any time at all. It might say that it is noon when it is actually three o'clock in the morning. The sundial is only valuable when the sun is shining on it. In the same manner, the conscience is only valuable when illuminated by the word of God. We need people who will stand for the right and do the right because of conscience. But if you start a crusade, be sure the position you take is biblical and that you are not merely serving yourself or enhancing your own crusading 
reputation. A clear conscience is a wonderful thing to have before the Lord. That's why whether you are in Timbuktu, Wisconsin, or downtown Milwaukee, we should obey our governing authorities. And so just to recap, who should submit to governing authorities? Paul says everybody should. Why should we? Because they are appointed by God, because they are, are given authority to carry out God's judgment, and because it satisfies our biblically informed conscience. All right, third question. How must we submit to governing authorities? First, by doing good. Verse three, he says, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Now, I have to pause there uh, because we know from experience that this is not always true. Uh, Paul knows from experience that this is not always true. I mean, Paul could have written a tour guide of the prisons that he had been put in. And the reason why he was put in prison was for doing good, for doing the best good, for preaching the good news of the gospel. Wherever he went, he would be put in prison. And so how can Paul say rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad? If anyone would not like that statement, you'd think it would be Paul. But Paul says that because he is speaking of a general principle, right? That if you do good in the culture, uh, if you pay your taxes, if you stop at stoplights, the, the, the government's not going to be a terror to you. It's not, it's not always applicable, but universally, uh, this is a general principle that we see here. And so Paul says, for the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. Paul is saying, obey the governing authorities. This should be our default, to obey. Obey when they command you to do something. And we know that it is good because God's word tells us it is right and it is good. And so that's the first way to submit is by doing good, by following the law. The second is by paying taxes. Verse six, he says, for because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed. Uh, you may recall the story in Matthew chapter 22 where the religious leaders are trying to get Jesus in trouble. Uh, and so they come to him, they ask if they should pay taxes uh, because that's a really difficult question. Should we give taxes? Should we pay money to a government who is doing evil things, who is persecuting the people of God? Should we give them our money? Because it doesn't seem like we should. And so Jesus says, here, give me a coin. Uh, and so he holds up the coin and he asks them, who image is on it? And it's Caesar's image on the coin. And then Jesus says, render to Caesar what is Caesar and render to God what is God's. Now in this statement, not only is he affirming the authority of the government to receive our taxes and our revenue, but he's also saying, you bear the image of God and so give yourself to God. But here these, these, these Pharisees are trying to have Jesus say we shouldn't obey the governing authorities. Jesus saying, no, we should by paying taxes. And so how should we submit? By doing good, by paying taxes, but thirdly, by giving honor. And this might be the most difficult of all. Verse 70 says, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. This word honor uh, here is the same that, that Paul uses in 1 Timothy when he says, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory 
forever and ever, amen. And so Paul is saying, you give honor to God, you should also give honor to governing authorities. Now, sometimes that is really difficult, right? Especially when they do dishonorable things. And so how are we to honor governing authorities when they do dishonorable things? Well, it's by honoring their position, the authority that God has put them in. We honor their position, even when we cannot honor their actions. Here's the reality. In our culture, it is not cool to honor our authorities, uh, whether that be in the school or at home, but especially the governing authorities. Uh, And and the way that you see this is you can listen to political talk radio, and, and what they will start to do is to name call, right? And name call is a way of dishonoring someone who is made in the image of God. Uh, of making them less than human. Uh, You'll see this on on late night talk shows, and and I'm guilty of this because I laugh along, and I shouldn't, but but, but basically their entire monologue is, is mocking the governing authorities. God says, don't do that. Honor your governing authorities. This doesn't mean you don't disagree with them. This doesn't mean you don't speak against their policies, but you don't belittle them as a person. You honor them as a person. You honor their position. So that's how we should submit to governing authorities, by doing good, by paying taxes, by giving honor. Finally, when must we not submit to governing authorities? I think this is our favorite point, isn't it? Like, I don't know when I don't have to do this. As we look at the Old Testament, the life of Joseph, the life of Daniel, the life of David, and as we look at the New Testament commands, It is evident that our default setting as believers must be to submit to the governing authorities. When in question, submit. But there are times for civil disobedience. And the scripture tells us very very clearly when those times are. And to give you a general, it's when those authorities call us to do something that our greater authority that would be against our greater authority. So in in verse one here, uh, he says, for there is no authority except from God. The authority is derivative. And so our governing leaders have authority, but there is an authority above their authority and that authority is God. And so whenever their authority commands us to do something that's against God's authority, then we are called to civil disobedience. So let me put it for you in two statements, kind of two sides of the same coin. First, we should not submit, we must not submit, when authorities command us to do what God forbids in his word. So a couple examples. Exodus 1. Pharaoh, who was appointed by God, raised up by God, commands the people of God, uh, the midwives, to kill all the Hebrew baby boys when they're born. And the midwives, uh, they disregard that command because they know it is against God's command, thou shalt not murder which was yet to come, but you saw even back in the garden with Cain and Abel. And so they don't kill the children. They, they practice civil disobedience. And in Exodus 1, it says, so God dealt with, uh, well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. And so this was pleasing to the Lord. They feared Pharaoh, but above that, they feared God. There are other examples in Daniel. In Daniel chapter 1, uh, these, are, these are men in exile living in a foreign country under Babylonian regime, and, and they're commanding them to eat some strange food, which would go against the dietary laws of the Old Testament. And so Daniel takes a stand and it says he would resolve that he would not defile himself with the king's food. He did this because 
the authorities commanded him to do something that God forbid. In Daniel chapter 3, the king of Babylon uh, tells them to bow down and worship this golden image. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to do so because they know it's against the first commandment to have no other gods or to the second to have idols. And so they disobey and they are thrown into the fiery furnace. In Daniel 6, uh, they are commanded, uh, there is an edict for the next 30 days. If you could imagine this happening in our country, it'd be crazy. But for the next 30 days, no one could ask uh, any God for anything except for the king. Daniel goes home. And he prays to the Lord because he knows that would be disobedient to the first and second commandment. And promptly he is turned over and thrown into the lion's den. And so we must not submit to authorities, whether that be government authorities, parental authorities, employer authorities, or even church authorities. If they call us to do something that God forbids in his word. The second, the second reason we must not submit is kind of the other side of the coin. And it's when authorities forbid what God commands in his word. So in the book of Acts, uh, the apostles are being persecuted, persecuted ferociously. And, and in Acts 5, we read that the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in the name, the name of Jesus. Yet, there, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, and this is so important, they said, we must obey God rather than man. God commands us to make disciples of all the nations. To make disciples of all the nations, we have to teach the name of Jesus. And they say, listen, we cannot command you, we cannot obey you because you are, command, you are forbidding us from doing something that God commands. And so these are the two reasons that we must disobey governing authorities is when authorities command us to do what God forbids in his word or when authorities forbid what God commands in his word. Now, some people will create a third category a category uh, about, about the different spheres is called sphere sovereignty. And, and in that, they will say, well, you know what? The government really has no uh, authority over the church at all, that there are these separate spheres and they don't touch or intersect really in any way. And, and I, would, I would push back against that uh, because we do submit to governing authorities. Uh, our, our, when, we, when we play songs in here, we're going through this as a staff. We want to we wanna be compliant with our governing authorities. And so we're seeking licenses that we have to purchase just so we can play songs during the fellowship time and before and after the service. We want to be compliant with our governing authorities. Uh, we shovel out the, the doors, uh, the, outside the doors, because we want to be compliant with the fire code of our governing authorities. We want to be compliant with them. And so there are many ways that we try to be compliant. You've seen when the church has tried to deal with these matters internally and horrible things have happened. There have, there have been throughout multiple denominations in which there have been uh, sexual scandals in the church that they've tried to deal internally and it's gone very poor instead of turning them over to the governing authorities. And, and so then when do we as a church submit to the governing authorities and when do we not? Well, we simply follow these rules. If, if they call us to do something, that is against God's word, we disobey. And so if the government said, listen, you cannot have worship, you cannot sing, uh, you cannot preach the whole word of God, there are certain word, parts of the scripture that you cannot teach. If they say you cannot you know, have communion and the Lord's Supper, if they said you cannot do these things, we would with gentleness and respect 
and prayer defy our governing authorities, regardless of the consequences, because it is commanded for us to sing to the Lord. It is commanded for us to gather together on the Lord's day to worship him. It is commanded of, uh, of me to preach the whole counsel of God and not to shrink back. It is commanded of us to enjoy the Lord's Supper on a regular basis and to baptize. And so we will submit to our governing authorities unless they command us to do something against our greater authority. John MacArthur, in, in commenting on Romans 13, shares a story about when he was talking to a member of a Russian underground church. And, and this Russian member was lamenting about how difficult it was for Christians in Russia and how it was so very, very hard. But he said this, he said, if any Christian is ever going to suffer punishment or imprisonment, it will never be for anything than for the sake of Jesus Christ. In all other matters, we obey the government. Christians, how can we find this humility to submit to people that we disagree with, to submit to governing authorities? to authorities that maybe we know to be corrupt? Well, it's because Jesus himself submitted to evil governing authorities on our behalf. Do you remember when they came out and arrested Jesus and Peter drew his sword and cut off the ear? And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, put your sword back into its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus had 12 legions of angels at his disposal. And yet in submission to the government and according to the will and word of God, Jesus submitted himself to this, to this kangaroo trial before Pilate, and he submitted himself even to the point of death, even to the point of death on the cross, which was humiliating to pay for your sin and for mine, and then rose on the third day to give us newness of life. You see, the greatest act in the history of the world was accomplished by the submission of one to corrupt authorities, but through it, it accomplished our salvation. You know, there are a lot of questions still left unanswered. What about the slippery slope? You know, if we give in here and the government goes farther, then what do we do, right? Why don't the elders just say, hey, do whatever you want to do, right? Why, why is it such a big deal? Why, what, what, what should you do if you think the elders are wrong? What should you do in that situation? These are all very good questions, uh, and we will seek to answer them next Sunday. And so please be sure to come back for that. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, we have our own design for the way that we want the world to work, and it is often not your design, Lord. And God, we have uh, rebellious hearts. I know I do, Lord. I know I don't want to submit to a lot of the things the government tells me to do. And Lord, pray that you'll remind us that you have put them in authority, that government as a whole is a good thing, for our good to restrain evil. And so God, help us, Lord. Give us the grace of humility to submit when we do not disagree or when we do not agree, Lord. Help us to submit to the right authority even when we think they are wrong. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.